Hi, this is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells Kant. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. And if you couldn't tell, we are on a four-part series on Aaron Caffey. Um, I, I didn't mean for it to be this long. Oh, uh, you know what happens when you read books? You get ideas, and you know when women get ideas, we gotta just tamp it down. I just wanted to bring you all the information. Well, I did give you a challenge. Do you remember the challenge? You were like, maybe we should do a two-part. And I said, I see your challenge, and I raise you two more parts. <laughs> I was like, okay, or four. Four parts works. Well, I came in. I was like, I cut it directly in the middle because I have 45 pages, and I cut it at page 23. And she was like, I'm sorry, what? I started laughing because I thought she was joking. And then I'm like, oh, she does have 45 pages. You How, how long did it take you to write 45 pages, by the way? Three weeks. That's honestly uh, not that bad at all. I had to read the book too. And you have a full-time job that you work six days a week at. So technically an overtime job. Mm -hmm. So again, how Every two weeks I put in over a hundred hours. Dude. (laughs) I do not know how you have time. And I have to feel, and I field phone calls when I'm at home. Oh, God. if that, if that. Oh In fact, God. I got one on the way over here today. Ooh, fun. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, it's not my problem. Bye. Yeah. And I sent an email at 6.30 last night Ugh. from my house. I swear. It's it's crazy. Like the, the, what they expect from you versus the job interview. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're like, huh, interesting. Well, my email was mainly because, um, I like to call them nasty grams. Mm. I had to put people in their place. Right. And I couldn't wait till I got to work this morning. Oh, got it. So you're like, actually, it was kind of fun to write. <laughs> I was excited about it. Hey, that's fair. You know. So when we last left off on part three, where were we at? We had found evidence? So... Charlie had been arrested. Okay. Wade had been arrested. Mm-hmm. Bobby had been arrested. Got him. They're looking for Aaron because they don't know where she is or what had, had happened to her. Terry was in the hospital because he got out of the house. The police don't know where Aaron is or mm. what part she played. It sounds like, though, from the confessions that Aaron played a big part. Which yes. is another reason for their motivation to find her. Yes. Right? Okay. And they had gotten in search warrant for Matthew Wade's house where Charlie had been staying. Got it. So, we're at Matthew Wade's house for the search. Hell yeah. So, Deputy Kirk Fisher is the one getting to do the search. You know, he's the one that found Charlie there. Yep. So he's doing an initial scan of the house. You know, he walks in. He's just scanning, right? He's not initially digging. He's just scanning the area with his eyes. And then he sees it. What does he see? A camouflage purse. And he asked, who was it? Matthew didn't know. So Kirk took a look to see. 
see what was in it. And he found Aaron's driver's license. Bitch, of course you know your girlfriend's purse. It's probably right in between you and the console or like, you know, on that little like armrest thing. Of course you know what the fuck her purse looks like. Well, Matthew... Oh, Matthew, that's right. Oh, sorry. I was confusing Matthew with Charlie. My bad. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Charlie's already at the sheriff's department. Got it. Matthew, of course, wouldn't know. Yeah, Yeah, because so many people are in and out of his house. He's got the crash pad. Got it, got it, got it. So he's like, I don't know what fucking purse that is. Gotcha. Aaron's driver's license is inside. So the deputies head to the back of the house to the room where they found Charlie asleep. Because that makes sense. Right. We found Charlie here. We're going to start here. So they found several shell casings and a box of ammo. So then they moved to the closet and they start looking around, moving things around, see what's inside. So in my head, this kind of, it's a dirty house. It kind of looks like a hoarder's house because mm. a dude lives here. Now, Matthew does live there with his pregnant, I don't know if it's his girlfriend or fiance, I can't remember, but still... In my head, this room is not real clean. It's got shit shoved in the closet. You know what I mean? Yeah, and plus there's probably, because there's so many people in and out. Exactly right. There's a lot of stuff that is not his. Exactly right. Yeah. So that's just in my head. I don't know if that's facts. Just in my head, that's what it looked like. So um, he's moving stuff around. He's trying to see what's inside. He lifts up a blanket and he sees a large doll and he grabs the hair. But then the eyes pop open. Oh my God. Can you fucking imagine it? You think you're grabbing doll hair and the fucking eyes pop open. I would lose my shit. I would shit my pants. Yeah, seriously. I would shit my pants. Can you only fucking imagine? No. Um, That's when he realizes it was a small girl in the fetal position sitting against the wall. Oh God, bless America. Kirk recognizes this face because he had just seen it on the driver's license from the purse in the living room. Oh, shit. Kirk draws his gun and tells Aaron to show her hands. She doesn't move and appeared to be in shock. Her eyes were wide open and she just stared at him. He asked her what her name was and in a tiny voice she says, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Kirk later said it did seem like Aaron was under the influence of some type of drugs with her eyes wide open and large pupils. He called EMS to check her out, and Kirk asked Aaron, um, how did you get here? And Aaron didn't know where she was, and Kirk asked her if she remembered anything, and she said there was a fire, and there were two guys with swords and yelling at her, but nothing else. Right. Sure. Sure, sis. So EMS finally arrived and evaluated Aaron, and they decided she needed to be transported to the hospital. After all that drama... The officers stayed to finish their search. Outside, they found two long guns, an older Mauser-style rifle, and a 12-gauge shotgun. First of all, this is a country. Everybody has 12-gauge shotguns. Pretty much, yeah. But this time, it was in a Cadillac parked in the yard. Matthew didn't know whose they were or where they came from. Um, And in the back seat of the car... They found a pair of boots that they took for evidence to see if they could match any footprints to the crime scene. Sure, why not? They also found two more samurai swords in a back room um, that they had to get a second search warrant to be able to take into evidence. 
Oh, good Lord. Because it was in a different room. Right. You know? Yeah. So while the police were trying to figure out what really happened, Terry was convinced that Aaron was found wandering close to their home. He wasn't sure if she had escaped the murder or had been kidnapped by Charlie and then released, but Aaron was definitely a victim. Oh, yeah. Def, def, definitely a victim. Also, I can also see how this is a starting point because would you want to believe that? Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody would want to believe anything bad about their child, let alone something like this. Exactly. So it's, it's a big pill to swallow after almost getting murdered yourself and having to fight to survive and then... Oh, and by the way, your daughter orchestrated the entire thing. Yes. No, it was Charlie. Mm-hmm. So Aaron was actually moved into the hospital's trauma room. And the police ordered a full talk screen to be run. And a nurse also did a sexual assault exam. Aaron did admit to having sex within the last week with two separate people. Uh, oh, Okay. Over the next few days, the police tried to find out the identity of the second boy Aaron said she had sex with, but they were never able to get a name. And given Aaron's state, they concluded that she was confused about the second boy, or since she had a way of manipulating the truth and keeping secrets, it was just another secret she kept from everyone. Honestly, I feel like she was lying. You don't think there was another... No. It was just like to throw him off kind yeah. of thing? Okay. So Aaron was without emotion most of the time unless there was another family in the room. And she was always asking about her parents, but never her brothers. In a conversation with law enforcement, Aaron, in a weird, we are boyfriend, girlfriend, we aren't, my mom made us break up and he was mad, but then we decided to be friends. So he wasn't mad whole ramble type situation. She also claimed the last thing she remembered was getting home from school and she didn't know how she got to the other house. Like hmm. She just went on a whole like little diatribe about all of this and it ended with, I just remember getting home from school and I don't know how I got there. Okay. And then when asked if she could think of anything else to help, she said she drank some stuff. But she didn't know what it was, but a tall, long, blonde-haired, sword-wielding killer gave it to her. The fuck? Okay. And that's, yeah, some dude's like, drink this. Who's going to kill you? Mm -hmm. And you're going to be like, sure, bud. Yeah. All right. And Aaron kept telling people that they were coming back. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm They're coming scared. back to get me. They're coming back. Mm-hmm. So the detective did not believe Aaron's bullshit for one minute. No. And because, one, it made no sense. And for two, her clothes didn't smell like burnt wood and phosphorus like it should if she had been in the house when it was on fire. Mm. She had no symptoms of smoke inhalation. When her tox report came back, there was no rohypnol, no GHB, or any other drugs that could cause memory loss in her system. Mm -hmm. So the Pobo decided Aaron was either doped by an unfamiliar narcotic, or she was fucking lying. Yeah. And let's go with the easier of the two, which is she's lying. Yeah. 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 And I think in the cabin or in the house when she got found, she was, the wide eyes thing was like, holy shit, I can't believe they found me. 
How did you find me under a blanket in the closet? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. My super secret hiding spot. Yeah, girl. What are you, five years old? Like, they'll never find me here. I'm invisible. (laughs) Like, come on, girl. So, Aaron was released from the hospital, and the police had... Aaron and grandma followed them to Tyler to see Terry because they told her, yes, you can go see your father. And on the way there, things took a little 180 from follow us to see your father. And so while heading south on Highway 154, Kurt called Shanna Sanders. Remember, she's the Reigns ISD chief of police. And she was one of the officers um, leading the way to the hospital. He told her that after speaking with Charlie, Wade, and Bobby, he felt like they had enough reasonable cause to arrest Aaron. So Shana handed the phone to the sheriff's deputy, Serena Booth, who got the instructions to arrest Aaron as well. So Shana and Serena pulled into a parking lot. Jima and Aaron followed her to pull over. Shana motioned Jima over and explained what was happening, and Jima started to cry. Jima then grabbed Aaron's little face, looked her in the eyes, and asked her if she had any part of the murders, and Aaron told her no. Aaron was then placed into the police car and taken to the Raines County Sheriff's Department. Yep. Since Aaron was the youngest of the crew, she actually went to the juvenile detention center, mm. and a judge asked Aaron if she wanted um, to talk to the detectives, but she opted to write her confession out instead. Because you know she only had a sixth grade yeah. education. Yeah, yeah. So she kept up with her kidnapping story and took no responsibility for the murders. It was as if she was told this story. If you get caught, this is what you say. And she was going to stick to that fucking story. She was not going to deviate from that no matter what. Yep. So at the end of the day, Aaron, Charlie... Wade and Bobby were all charged with capital murder. Ooh, capital? Damn. Mm-hmm. They went for it. Kirk Fisher was the one tasked with telling Terry his only remaining living child was part of his family's murder. Oh, fuck that job. When Terry found out Aaron was greatly involved, he broke down sobbing. Now, Bobby's mom, she was an OG cunty because... She knew that Bobby was probably not going to fare well in jail, and Bobby was gullible and too trusting. Therefore, she was a prime target for other prisoners to get close to her in order to get a chance to cut themselves a deal. Mm-hmm. So Teresa's, so Teresa, Bobby's mom, aka the OGC, nice, told Bobby not to talk to anyone, and they were going to get her an attorney, and that anyone. In the cell with her is trying to be nice to her to get her to chit-chat. And when it comes to the murder, not to say a fucking word. Yep. Shut your mouth, little girl. You're in enough trouble. Shut your fucking mouth. Teresa. God dang it. The OGC. Yeah. She was like, no, no, I've been around the bend. I know how this works. First off, we're getting you a lawyer. Secondly, shut your mouth. Exactly right. I love it. Well, Bobby got lonely in jail and sought out some friendships. God dang it, Bobby. Some of her fellow inmates and allegedly said things that could be used against her in court. Against her in court. No, said no. So at least two of them wrote their statements out. 
of confessions that they heard. In one, Bobby was quoting Aaron shouting, kill them, kill them. And then when the murder was over, only Charlie had blood on him and the whole group was laughing. Another inmate didn't hear a conversation. She spoke directly to Bobby. And the inmate said that Bobby told her Aaron would tell them she was being abused by her parents and that Aaron convinced them to kill her parents. Then on their way to the cafe home, she was saying, we just have to kill them over and over while walking, rocking back and forth. That's a little yeah. mental health-ish. Yeah. So the inmate asked Bobby why she and Wade got involved, and she said because she had been abused as a child and she felt sorry for Aaron. Bobby said no one had been drinking or doing drugs that night, and when Aaron found out that Terry was still alive, she got angry and had no tears or remorse. Bobby said that she blames Aaron. If she ever sees her again, she will hurt her badly. Oh, wow. Yes, little Miss Innocent Bobby. Yeah. Again, you didn't listen to your mama? No, and it gets worse. <sighs> so not only that, Bobby and Wade were passing kites in prison to one another. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. Sis, spend more time with your OGC. Yeah, seriously. She had given a letter to a trustee who read the letter and turned it over to authorities due to the contents. I'm going to share a little bit of this vomit-inducing bullshit with you. Please. My lawyer keeps asking how I could love someone who killed a boy. I simply say that I know you and you wouldn't do it in cold blood. I just have to convince everyone else I don't love you. You're little Miss Whistling Dixie. Oh. Okay. Then she said she was looking forward to driving the murder vehicle again. Sweet, huh? Wow. Yeah. Bobby is as big of a piece of shit as the rest of them. Wow. We all thought up until this point, Bobby was just... Along for the ride, yeah. to trusting like her mom said, and it's like, yeah. you know, she's like getting into it. Yeah. Wow. But my favorite, your little Miss Whistling Dixie. Mm-hmm. Blech. So Charlie, Charlie was assigned a public defender, Ronald Ron Ferguson. Now, Ron tried to get to the jail before Charlie talked too much or confessed, but obviously he was too late. But when he did make it, Ron brought his wife Stacy with him, and he brought her to all of his meetings because Stacy worked as his investigator and mitigator. Now, Ron, he didn't like Charles when he first met him, and the more details he found out about the crime, he actually disliked him more. Oh, man. Um, at first. Now, under Texas law, there are only two options in a murder case. Um, in a capital murder case, life without parole or capital punishment, which is the death penalty. Right. I was going to say. Now, Stacy, she has a lot of thoughts on the death penalty that I actually enjoy. So I'm going to share them with you. Please. Here's a quote from Stacy. Too many Texans on death row are suffering from mental illness left untreated. We live in America, a country that should help save and rehabilitate those who are mentally ill. Mental illness is a disease. If one has a terrible disease such as AIDS, HIV, hepatitis, TB, etc., those diseases are contagious. Mental illness is no different. Mental illness affects others. Texas really has no place for the mentally ill long-term except prison. Ooh. 
Okay. Stacy's my hero. Yeah. So Ron wasn't defending a defendant against a murder charge where he didn't know the victims. Ron had actually met the Caffies. So this was more personal than looking at a picture of an unknown victim. Oh, yeah. So, but the more time Ron spent with Charlie, the more he started to like him. And he realized that these were naive kids who made poor decisions and didn't understand the consequences of their actions. And when Ron heard Charlie's 10-year plan, he was impressed with his thinking and thought process. Ready for Charlie's 10-year plan? Yeah. Graduate high school, join the army, um, become a diesel mechanic, get married and have some kids. That, that's a lot more put together than a lot of other high schoolers, myself included. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Charlie wasn't like some dumb backwoods. Right. Like what she said, like, oh, I don't, shucks, mister. I don't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? Like, no, this kid was intelligent and he was being manipulated by his girlfriend. It's yes, crazy. 100%. Stacy said, there's a lot about Charlie you'd never know from what you've seen in the media. I did not see him as a cold-hearted murderer. I saw him as a very sad teenager, a kid who needed love, affection, acceptance, and nurturing. And that's exactly why he did what he did. He was looking for all those things in Aaron. Mm-hmm. And he thought she would give them to him if she did what, if he did what she wanted. Right, exactly. That's my opinion. Yeah. So the DNA DNA test did confirm that Penny's blood was on Charlie's boots and jeans. My boots. I know. They got my boots. So one good thing for Charlie is ending up in jail actually helped him because he didn't have alcohol to suppress his feelings and he started to face them and he started reading up on psychology and sociology And he was also reading law books from the library because he wanted to understand what was going on in courts. And then by doing that, he also had time to realize he needed to change in venue for his trial because there was no way he was getting impartial jurors from Emory and Sulphur Springs. A hundred percent. Everybody knows you. Everybody. was not stupid. No. So Terry was in the hospital for a week before he was released with a broken nose, two fractured cheekbones, and a and minor nerve damage in his right arm. But he didn't have a home or a family to go back to, so Terry moved in with his sister. And not long after he was released, Terry went to see William Howard McDowell, a defense attorney, to help his daughter. Wow. William fe- felt as soon as he met Erin that her charges should stay within the juvenile system. At a pretrial hearing, Terry requested that Aaron go home with him while the case moved forward. Thankfully, the judge was like, uh, nope. Yeah, no, dude. I don't think you want to be around someone who wants you dead. Like, she may be your daughter, but do you want to go home to like a little, like, essentially like a Chucky doll who's just waiting for you to fall asleep? Yeah. No. But Aaron would go to Greenville twice a week to spend time with her. Since she couldn't go home with him. Okay. I, I mean, I guess, you know what? Hey, he's, li- again, he's living his faith. He's yeah. forgiving her. That's impressive. I mean. Well, no, because he was convinced she didn't have anything to do with it. But he, the cop told him and he broke down in tears. He was still convinced. Okay. So for months, there was one question on everyone's minds. Would Aaron be tried as a juvenile or an adult? 
In order to make this decision, the judge ordered a complete psychological evaluation. The first analyst to meet with Erin found her to be somewhat guarded with a dull and almost flat effect. Periodically, she would cry I was, and say, I don't know why I'm here. I didn't do anything wrong. Because Erin appeared so frail, the analyst only stayed for about an hour, and she said Erin verbalized that someone had killed her mom and two brothers. She was not oriented to time, claiming that she did not know if she had been in detention for two or up to nine weeks. Vegetative signs of depression were notated, with sleep disturbances apparently severe. When the analyst returned eight days later, she noted that Erin's mental condition seemed to have improved. She did respond to many questions with, I don't know, not consistently, but periodically Erin would cry when she would talk about her family being murdered. The analyst determined that her overall mental grasp and capacity were within normal limits, but her retention and recall were poor. Um, here, abstract thinking using proverbs were poor and general fund of knowledge was poor. Her judgment and insight were poor. Overall, Erin's intellectual capacity appeared to be at best within lower range of average. So basically, she's saying she's stupid. Like a little below average as yeah. far as like mental age. Okay. I kind of find it odd that she would just periodically cry when she would talk about her family being murdered. Like, it, as in, like, it wasn't at any moment that most people would expect a person to right. cry? Okay, She yeah. said, the analyst said, not consistently, but periodically she would cry. Interesting. So, it'd be like, we're talking about my family. Oh, yeah, I need to cry now. Right, like, oh, let me turn it on real quick. Yes. Okay. So, Aaron claimed she loved her brothers and was concerned about her safety in adult prison and that Charlie had threatened her, but the re- didn't specifically say when or why he threatened her it was like all of a sudden she's like oh yeah charlie threatened me yeah uh, uh he did a thing and they're like for what it's like uh but y- you know threatening <laughs> like yeah. what are you talking about you know another examiner described her background as highly suffocated and she had been misdiagnosed with adhd when she really had depression and anxiety oh you think i mean who knows though exactly right they also said that Erin seemed to have a personality disorder that separated her from the more popular kids. She showed sign of characterological inclinations to be complaining, a tendency to alienate her from most healthy and socially adjusted peers. Huh. So do you think that's basically saying like because she was withheld from being socialized for about three years when she was homeschooled, it didn't help her develop the attachments needed to basically allow her to not have this mental illness. Well, and not even just being homeschooled. I think just the such controlled prison environment she yeah. was in, you yeah. know? So she'll probably thrive in prison. Probably. You know what I mean? She's like, yeah, okay. So there were questions about her sexual history and there were responses that the examiners found, let's say, questionable. Erin talked about three different times where she passed out after drinking and woke up with her cooter sore leaking semen. Um, The report said in each instance, Erin said she would go to a deserted place with her boyfriend and three or four other 17-year-old males. 
Nevertheless, Erin boldly and confidently claimed her sexual encounter was a sure sign of sexual abuse. Erin followed this with the assertion that she had been raped, yet she reportedly repeated this behavior three separate times. Hmm. The examiners really didn't know what the truth was because it seemed if Erin's lips were moving, she was lying. And it seemed like to everyone they talked to, they would say the same thing, that Erin had the tendency to bend the facts to suit her needs. And a report says that this trait may be how she convinced... um, Charles Wade and Bobby to take part in the murder plots. Mm-hmm. Um, the report says exactly. Erin appears to have truly convinced her peers of her own personal misery simply to get what she wanted. This child is highly sophisticated yet socially immature. She can manipulate to a degree beyond her maturity level to get what she wants. Clearly. And that's like, she probably told all of them a different story too. To like, she probably honed in on what their thing was exactly and went for it that's why charlie was so dedicated to her you know that's why this rando charles wade decided to help charlie and that's yeah bobby was full in i'm sure yep. they thought they she thought they were bffs and shit yeah so they're that's why they're like this doesn't make sense you're claiming you were sexually abused and raped but you then continue to put yourself in that situation over and over consensually consensually on your end Yes. Right, not on, I mean, like, what they're doing to you, if it was true, if that really happened, because there's no, there was no proof of it, and they're not even sure if it right. did. Right, Okay, then what they're doing to you is bad, yes, but then you are also, at that point, it, it is consensual, isn't it? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't it's know what's just, happening. It's all Yeah, fucked. they're just like, it doesn't make sense, no. and everything we know about you leads to... This not being true. Right. It just doesn't, yeah, doesn't track. So, mm-hmm. okay. So this is very damning. This is a very damaging and damning statement in of itself. You know, and although Aaron had no criminal history, the analysis all agreed that, and I'm quoting, this child possesses a threat to the public, efforts at rehabilitation, utilizing the resources of the juvenile system appear inadequate. I agree. So, Louis Israel, a mental health counselor who was hired by the defense to evaluate Erin, um, and she appeared devastated over losing her family. Israel did attempt to find out about the family dynamics, but Erin would never say one negative thing about her parents. He said, My only guess is that she blocked out what was going to happen. Israel knew Erin... Knew an Aaron that others didn't know. To him, she was sweet and compassionate and cared deeply about her family. But to a lot of other people, they would say the exact opposite. Israel uses solution-based therapy that is respectful of religion styles of Christianity and has been a counselor working with mainly juveniles for almost two decades But the more Israel learned about the case, he determined that Aaron was playing him the way she may have deceived her father. Israel said, I have worked with some good liars, but Aaron was one of the best. Damn. So even her own defenses, psychologist, was like, she's good. Yes. Wow. So Aaron didn't give up a lot about her role. Um, 
in this murder. Um, but her phone records tell the story of itself. So between 11.46 p.m. and 12.48 a.m., Erin called Charlie six times from her house. This is consistent with Charles' claim that Erin was encouraging him to come to the cafe house. After Charlie arrived and left because of the dog, the phone records show between 1.22 a.m. and 1.58 a.m., Erin called seven more times. Wow. After her sentencing, Erin would tell Terry that all of these calls were because she had been planning on running away and changed her mind, and these calls were an attempt to talk Charlie out of the murders. See, she's just manipulating Terry the same way she manipulated Charles. Yeah, she's gaslighting the other way. Like, no, 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 actually, it was the opposite. Yes. Okay. So, if you thought the town was upset before the preliminary autopsy was released, they were more upset afterwards because it showed that Tyler was alive when the house was set on fire and smoke was found in his lungs. Oh, no. God, no. Penny had been shot in at least two places and stabbed twice. Bubba had a perforate, perforations on both the right and left side temporal lobes of the brain and face, one bullet wound, and a stab wound. And he had evidence of smoke inhalation as well. So I love when the police decide to police. Yeah. So even though they pretty much had an open and shut case, at, you know, they oh, had yeah. confessions from everyone. They had evidence. You know what they still did? Their job. <laughs> they hunted down a high school student whose older brother had dated Aaron previously. Oh, good. So off to ex, her ex's Michael Washburn's house. Michael had lived a similar life to Aaron. He had been homeschooled, and he had worked at the Sonic. The couple had met on a field trip with the Miracle Faith Baptist Church, and they had dated for two months. Cute. Um, then Aaron said her mom didn't want her seeing Michael anymore because someone at church said they were being inappropriate. Michael said that Aaron had told him that every time she gets a boyfriend, her mom tries to break them up. Then Michael drops this bomb. Aaron told him she was going to hire someone to kill her parents. This was three months before Aaron even began dating Charlie. There it is. Michael said he didn't think she was serious, though. She was just mad. June 25th, 2008, Aaron is officially certified as an adult. Oh, shit. So even though she was a childish thinker, she had an adult proficiency at manipulation. And Erin is now facing three counts of capital murder, and Bond was set at $1.5 million. Damn. And she's moved to the Hopkins County Jail from the Juvenile Detention Center. The prosecution did agree not to seek the death penalty since Erin was a minor at the time of the murders. That's fair, I think. I, I mean... You know, let's be real. I can see that. So Bobby was offered a plea of 40 years, but her attorney rejected the plea because they thought they could get a better deal if she testified against her co-defendants. Bro, Bro. always take the plea. Always take the plea. What? Let me guess. She got life. Now, I'm going to work back around to that. Okay. Now, Charles is... Lawyer wasn't stupid. So when they were getting ready for the January 2009 trial and the plea discussions started happening, an offer 
um, was going to be a guilty plea and they would not seek the death penalty, Ron was like, yep, best case scenario, we're going to take it. Yep. See, Bobby, always take the plea. Absolutely. Now there's nobody for you to testify against. Yeah, you just screwed yourself. Because Wade, Wade got the same deal as Charlie. Plead guilty, life in prison without the possibility of parole. Like, okay. Bobby, who the fuck you gonna testify against now? Right, and it's only 40 years, not life. Yes, that's a long time, but it's not life. So, with, you know, Charles and Charlie taking plea deals, everyone's now gearing up for Aaron's trial. This is big time. Oh, yeah. Terry was refusing to testify. Charlie was willing to talk about her manipulation. He's like, sign me the fuck up. Yeah. I'm already going to jail forever. (laughs) I got nothing to lose. Right. And then the potential of Aaron herself taking the stand. This was a media shit storm. I mean, this small town was like. It's on, on fire right now. Yes. Then the next thing you know, her plea bargains began. January 9th, 2009, Aaron and Bobby both pled guilty to three counts of capital murder. Now, before I tell you what her plea deal is, if you watch the Piers Morgan show, they say she gets out in X amount of years. That's not true. Hmm. Aaron received two life sentences plus 25 years, but she'll be eligible for parole at the age of 55 due to Terry fighting the prosecution to give her a chance at parole to give her something to live for behind bars. So yes, she has a chance for parole, but that doesn't mean she's going to be out of prison because the parole board can always deny her. Big difference. So, if you watch this show, they make it seem like she's going to get out of jail. Mm-hmm. That's not a fucking guarantee. Right. Got it. Okay. Texas Parole Board. <laughs> Good luck. Mm-hmm. Good luck, my friend. So, Bobby received 40 years behind bars, but she's eligible for parole after 20 years. That makes sense. Now, they say the same... I think they say the same thing about Bobby. Bobby is getting out of jail in X amount of years. Same thing. Not, maybe not. Bobby might have to do her full 40. Yeah, we don't know. I don't know. So, I'm going to leave you with a couple of things. So, Bobby, not Bobby, sorry. I got stuck on Bobby. Terry has forgiven everyone Wow. involved by framing the attack in biblical terms. But Terry truly believes that it was Charles's idea to kill the family and that Aaron couldn't stop him. She was just caught up in the mess by mistake. I mean, you know, I, I can't... Kate, Casey Anthony's mom's like that. You know, she's coming around on the latest thing that I watched. She's coming around. Her dad, though? Oh, my God. He knows her daughter. So... Goodbye. But it's tough, man. Now, Terry is also on the preaching circuit, and you can donate money to him, and he has mm. CDs and things like that. I did not want to tell you about it because I do not think he deserves it. Mm. But... Terry was remarried in October 2008. Uh, wait, hold on. When did this all happen? 2007? Eight. Wait, his wife and everything got m- murdered in 2008 and he got remarried in 2008? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hold on. Let me, let me double check the date because we've gone three episodes past that. Because, yeah, like... 
I'm not judging people on their timelines or anything, but that seems very quick after a huge traumatic event to be making a big decision like that in your life, you know? Although it is pretty common, you know? Sometimes people find the loves of their life as like their nurses or whatever. It happens. March 1st, 2008, and he got married in October 2008 at the Miracle Baptist Church to Sonia Webb. Who, who's this lady? I'm going to tell you. Uh-huh. I have a whole story about this. Ooh. Side quest. <laughs> Terry had known Sonia when they worked at rival medical supply companies, and they found they could talk about anything without that awkwardness. They moved into a ranch house with her two boys, boys that resembled Bobby, no, Bubba and Tyler. And he referred to them as his new family. So he just copy-pasted his life? He said, and I'm quoting, some people may think how callous that it was too soon, but I loved my family. Even my former mother-in-law said I fulfilled my vows till death do us part. Oh, okay, so you just did that. Moving on. Wow. If I die, no, when I die, if my husband gets married six months later, I want you to murder him. I thought you were going to haunt him, girl. Oh, I am going to haunt him. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay. Good. And I have one last quote for you, and then I'm done. Okay. Charlie has said that he does not think Aaron is evil, that he thinks she wanted what she wanted him to do do was evil but Aaron herself wasn't evil but later while at the Pulaski unit in Livingston Texas Charlie said and I'm quoting the demons weren't inside me they were walking around they had blonde hair and blue eyes and talked real good yeah yeah they did Ooh, that was a good story I don't give you claps good job that was worth it, man. All 45 pages of it. Wow. Terry remarrying it and calling him them his new family? Do you think he was already emotionally cheating on his wife? Terry. How do you... Okay. Obviously, he'd been married to her for like 17-ish years, yeah, right? Yeah, like 20. Whatever. Yeah. Let's bump that up to 20 years. He can move on in six months. Right. That's I know. sus, sis. That, yeah. No, for sure. Because, okay, let's go here. There's like that whole breakup rule that says like, you know, you it usually takes about half the time you were together with the person to like mourn them or mourn the relationship. So if you're together six months, three months, right? Yeah. Right? Ten years? I'm not saying you should never remarry or there's a timeline or a time limit. But to your point, it is a very uh, short timeline. It was after your whole family was brutally murdered. So he was taking this lady to Aaron's like preliminary trials and stuff. No, dude. Yes. They all go and visit her in jail. That's the new kids, the new wife. What? I have a lot of feelings and I don't know what they are about what's what that is. I have feelings and they're not good ones. (laughs) Oh my God, what the fucking... That's a story, man. That's a story. So I think it's interesting though. Like, so do you think she'll be released? I don't know. I just... Why did I even ask that? So, okay. (laughs) 
No, she won't. Here's a gem of the Pierce Morgan show. Please. Remember how she sings like an angel? Yeah. He has her sing Amazing Grace. Oh, God. Oh, God. Was it acapella? Like, no music behind of it? Of course really it was. Awkward. She's in prison. No, I mean, like, they didn't even produce and put some music over no. it. Oh, God. This is why I can't watch those shows, man. It's just like, ugh. He was, they were only Cringe. granted an hour with her. What was she like? Was she kind of like, did, was she narcissistic? Did she come off as like, yeah, I'm the shit? Like, what was her so vibe? I had previously seen this mm-hmm. before, probably several times. So I actually just had it on in the background while I was finishing this up at 11 o'clock last night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, hey, no judgment. That was a lot of work, so no judgment. <laughs> Um, so, you know, she still's not take, I mean, she's not taking full responsibility for no. what she did. I don't think she will ever. I think she's like one of those people. Well, if she does, they won't let her out. That's true. She's going to wait until she's 60, late 60s, early 60s, something like that. Cause she was what? 15, 16. When she went into jail, so 50 years. Mm-hmm. Whew, she's going to start retiring. <laughs> 65, get that check. <laughs> I mean. I know. Oh, God. Well, I, are you ready for our trophy child? <laughs> I, I would love to hear some good news because I just... <sighs> that was... That was... That. That was a lot. That I'm sorry, y'all. No, I don't that mean was like a that. Lot. I meant like you did a lot of work. It was it was a detailed story though too, because there were a lot of ins and outs, or four people minimum. I mean like, yeah, it was just a lot. So, I started doing the research online, and I just felt like I wasn't getting the full story. Right. So then, I was like, well, maybe there's a book. That was my first mistake. <laughs> was maybe there's a book. So then I found said book. And then when I read, I highlight things. And then on Kindle, you can just click the button. It gives you all your highlights. Mm-hmm. And then I piece them together in my story. Yeah. And then you're like, shit. Yeah. I just wrote an entire 45 pages. I just rewrote the book. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, because today's uh, treasure child is actually... One that's also very meticulous and in the details as well. So, kind of fits in a way. So, today I'm going to tell us about Kelvin Doe. Yeah. Have you heard of him? No. Me either. Um, He was born on October 26, 1996 in Freetown, Sierra Leone during their Civil War. He was one of five children and they lived in a small community with little water and electricity Um, Just a little bit of background about the Civil War. It lasted from 1991 to 2002, in which there was an overthrow of the government and over 50,000 people died. Of course, the people always suffered the most from Civil Wars, and Calvin and his family were amongst them. Due to necessity at age 10, Calvin started making things for his community that they needed from like the scrap metal and discarded trash around the area. And he started making things like transmitters batteries on his own with his own intelligence 
So why am I not this smart? Right? Like, how does it just, how do some people just get it? Just go, oh, I can make a battery. And you're like, you've never even studied this. Like, how do you know how to make a battery? And he just knew. Why? I don't know. It's amazing. He taught himself all of the skills to build these things. And he even entered the G-Men's Innovate Salon Innovation Challenge. Okay, so this is a, a challenge I hadn't heard of before. But it's like a, looks like an international or like a African challenge for, you know, um, engineering and science, like STEM kind of thing. Um, so according to the GMIN website, their mission is to, quote, cat- catalyze a culture of innovation through hands-on learning experiences, creative problem solving, and leadership skills among youth in Africa. For the GMIN challenge... He built a generator from scratch with scrap metals and was a finalist in the competition. Of course he did. <laughs> Just like At 13 in 2009, he taught himself engineering and he built a radio transmitter with a microphone receiver and a three-channel mixer, which became his community's radio station for news and music. He started calling himself DJ Focus for his new radio station. Can DJ Focus come be our producer? <laughs> hey, Calvin, are you busy? Can I like send these episodes to you and you can like produce and send them back like please dude it's cool because um those these will be on the show notes on our blog on our website but um i do actually have a link to the the radio station if you want to listen oh nice right the u.s college mit noticed his participation in the g-men competition and invited him to participate in their visiting practitioners program in 2012 and he was the youngest person in history to be invited to do so. Then, YouTube channel Thinker, T-H-N-K-R, told his story, which went viral, and many news stations then picked it up, like CNN, NBC, Huffington Post. Kelvin became a TEDx team speaker, lecturing to undergraduate engineering students at Harvard. And he started developing a solar solution project with a Canadian Wi-Fi company in 2013. I'm sorry. He got to lecture at Harvard. Um, I, um, I got to, um, I got to, um, I buy a new bed. (laughs) (laughs) In 2016, at age 20, He became an honorary board member of Emergency USA, which provides medical care to people affected by war and poverty. And this helped start his startup, Kado Tech and the Kelvin Doe Foundation. His foundation's goal is to, quote, level the playing field for tomorrow's innovators. To make sense of this, we work with our partners to use technology to create and deliver, deliver services to learners, particularly the underserved who have limited access to one-on-one quality learning experiences with teachers slash mentors. So he's basically connecting people who want to do something like this with people who could actually help them do it, especially people who don't have school system, family support, whatever, that allows them to be able to connect with who they need to, to grow. He's now 23 and continues his engineering and philanthropy work from his home in Canada. He now lives in Canada and keeps his positive attitude strong. To quote him, the more I'm able to empower myself, the more I can do things that sustain the world as a whole. I mean, 
I feel if he's in Canada, he can come down and be our producer. No, 100%. It's so much easier versus Sierra Leone. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just think it's... I was, like, shocked. First of all, you can teach yourself engineering. I was like, that. I thought, I mean, I'm... So what you're saying, there's hope for me? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. There's hope for all of us, is what we're saying. (laughs) You know what? If him and the girl with the glitter arm got (sighs) together... Think of the things they could invent. Dude, that would be incredible. They, they have to meet sometime, right? Isn't there like some sort of like youth? Super kids yeah, group? event. Like, like the Power Kids? Yeah, the, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen kids version. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. I mean, can you imagine what those two brains would come up with? I, I, I would love to see it. We may actually get flying cars. We may actually get the hoverboard from the fucking um, Back to the Future 2 movie. Finally. They would have to know what Back to the Future 2 and a hoverboard well, was. They will learn. I will teach them. And I'll go, this, make, these are the specs. I need you to make this happen. <laughs> now you're too old and you'll break a hip. <sighs> that's, that's sadly true. I feel like I've broken a hip. <laughs> I bought a cane. Oh, did it come in? Yeah. Girl, is it like fucking fly as shit? Yeah. Do you feel like Snoop Dogg? I do. Okay, that's all that matters. I want you to keep your pimp hand strong and use your cane. Now, you know what I mean? Here's the best part. I can decorate it any way I want. <sighs> I can make it match outfits. You can put glitter on it. You can put glitter on it. I can. I can put glitter on it. We're not describing the cane. It is a clear acrylic cane. Like fucking um, the, the second Tron movie kind of cane. Like this thing is fly as hell. Oh my God. It's going to be so cool. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. Dude, you better, you better like gangsta lean when you start using it too. You know, do that little like step. I probably should be using it. I just... I'm self-conscious to use it. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So we need to glitter it, girl. We need to get Jordan Reeves over here with her glitter-blasting arm and have her, like, spray it down for you. It's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, like, glitter tape. I can... Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. That'd be fucking sick, man. And then when I'm tired of that color of glitter tape, I can take it off. Exactly. Oh, washi tape. That's what that's called, where, it, like, you can take yeah, off yeah, and yeah. put on... Yeah. Girl, look at you. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Well, thank y'all so much for sticking with us for these four parts. Amanda did a lot of work on it. And it shows. It's great. I was riveted. I was like, what's going to happen next? I hope everyone else likes it. I just feel like I rambled for like four hours. You did a great job. It was awesome. And again, thank y'all so much. Thank you, patrons, for listening to us and getting episodes one day early. And also seeing the videos of us doing Hi. this. Yeah. <laughs> we really appreciate and love all you guys. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.